This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome to Episode 3. My name is Darren Ralston. I am the producer of this podcast. And for this episode, we'll be taking a closer look at Zaretta Hammond's book, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain. Uh, It's an important conversation that we're having. And I've got uh, Lars Holmstrom and Kimberly Gibson in the studio for that And given the current political and social and cultural climate of our time, uh, this is really a really prominent issue. So I'm glad we were able to all get together and discuss this. It was a tough edit, and I feel like we only scratched the surface, but hey, you got to start somewhere, right? So why don't we go ahead and uh, get rolling? Here we go. Well, so... uh there is a subject uh, for the book, but it uh, so the title of the book is "Culture Responsive Teaching and the Brain." Um, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure I'm not getting a okay. Not, not having a, a baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's important. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle texted me the other day, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I was on, I was in between Walton and Henley in the back rows. So, <gasps> yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. You gotta There's avoid those. Avoid the here. She just wanted me to pick up some bananas. It's like thanks. So the the title of the book is "Culture Responsive Teaching in the Brain," and so like there is a subject in the introduction. They talk about it, the book being uh, useful to teachers and to coaches and to administrators. So it is explicitly written you know for the author's view of what a coach mm-hmm. would be um mm-hmm. for me even though there is the subject of like culture responsive teaching uh even the title like and the brain starts to lean into uh the fact that it it is about like thinking and the way we think mm-hmm. um and so in that regard if i if i like like remove the barrier of like what is and isn't like a coaching book the fact that it talks about like how we think and how we interact with each other and how we perceive and are perceived and the influences that we have on each other i think those are all like very relevant uh things to think about when we think about coaching however like something about this particular book just felt um closer picked it up and I'm closer cl- uh, and maybe it is the same thing that you're saying like em- emotional like and maybe that's a maybe that's a detriment of it like you know maybe like no, you like fine. to have that distance but like I picked it up and I'm like okay like I know what she's talking about I can clearly see that in my own classroom experience I hear teachers saying describing these scenarios um, and so like culturally proficient coaching I think is probably is very meta um, in the same way that cognitive coaching is, is very meta um, and I like being very meta, but something about the immediacy of this book made it feel Im- immediately applicable. Right. No, and I, I mean, I, I don't want to be misconstrued about the emotion. I, I don't see that as a detriment. As teachers, as coaches, we all have multiple needs. There's not just one need that we have, and I think mm-hmm. that that tends to be something that's overlooked in a lot of the texts that we get mm-hmm. rolled out to us is it's just the strictly pedagogical here's what you do in order to get this thing done Mm -hmm. right and there are multiple needs that we have as coaches as teachers i mean we're people we have emotions we have things that we need to address in addition to just the nuts and bolts and i feel like 
for somebody who has a distinct need that this is going to meet, I, I'm glad that it's here, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I don't want to be misconstrued about it, you know, the value of this text being lesser or anything because it may have mm-hmm. more of a component like that. Um, and, you know, the immediacy like you're talking about, I mean, one of the things coming into this this podcasting session, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, just, you know, contemporary issues. You know, we're, we're looking at Absolutely. a very very uh, intense shift in the way culture is regarded and in, in I, sh- I guess I should say cultures because in America we have several cultures that get streamed into one big culture which can be really confusing to navigate mm-hmm. um, especially when you're in you know a school where that's where everybody meets you know, it's like the nexus of all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there, there was a little bit of trepidation thinking about, okay, how do we address this specific text without creating any type of problematic uh, part? But then again, maybe problems aren't uh, something we should avoid. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. you know, one, one thing looking at, uh, at this text, I think that it does provide some ways to come at these multiple issues that have just kind of bubbled up. So, um, Kim, what, what about uh, about you looking at this text? Why this text? Well, being a first-year coach, I have a lot of my classroom experience to kind of pull on, but as soon as I saw this was a possibility, I immediately had students flash up in my head. Okay. And over 25 years of teaching students that you feel like there was that certain something that you needed to know that – you knew you could find it out, but you just didn't know how to find it out like you had exhausted all your tools. I looked at this, and I looked at its connection to the psychology and how the brain connects with with your responses, how relationships are built around that, and I just really felt drawn to it because I felt like it was going to provide some of those insights Mm -hmm. into those. And I feel like it's universal. I, going back to your original question, I feel like instead of a series of steps that some you know pedagogical approach would give you, this is really foundational understanding so that you mm-hmm. can operate in all of those worlds. You can operate in in your cognitive coaching mind because we all bring our culture with us, and it's something to be appreciated, but it's also also something that's really misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, and I agree with your connection to what's going on now. When we say culture, we're not just meaning race mm-hmm. or ethnicity, but it's economic background, it's social, it's um, geographic factors, um, you know, so it's so much that piles into that and it makes you who you are and it makes you who you are that's special. But you also have to understand how everybody uses that to be who they are. And I think that um, it was just foundational to me, and it was provide. I felt like it could provide answers that had been niggling at me for, for years and okay. years and years. As far as uh, as far as the book itself goes, has there been anything that really addressed those issues that you just brought up that you you could say, well, you know, when she, you know, mentioned this thing or or whatever, it mm. really you know turned on a light. Uh huh. Well, one of the first eye openers was how she looked at different countries and their collective culture versus their individualistic culture and how they value collaboration. How does she mean individualistic? 
So she actually has a chart. There is some metric that she used to evaluate countries and how people approach problems and what their um, standards and beliefs are. And Lars, jump in here anytime. Mm -hmm. But she basically ranked everybody based on the score, every country. And it was very interesting because the United States, Australia, England, New Zealand, all ranked as very highly individualistic. You know, pull yourself up by your okay. bootstraps. If you right. you I have to you. take care of yourself, don't lean on anybody. Sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. And then you have cultures where doing it together is really the emphasis. You know, the the Latin cultures mm-hmm. are really collectivist. A lot of the African right. cultures are very collectivist. Well, as a coach, I value collaboration, and I'm seeing how that's productive. But I'm collaborating in America, and I'm seeing, so why is it hard for certain teachers to work with each other? Well, when you're told, do it yourself, you know, there you have it. That's that's really right. part of your world. Right. That's like one of probably, I think, probably two major cultural archetypes that right. this author leans on throughout the book. The other one is like oral culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and one question I would have for Hammond is the reason why she chose to focus on uh, those two uh, cultural dimensions, mm-hmm. um, presumably because she feels like they are the most out of out of sync with each other, or like have the well, I, you know there are like this the individualist versus collectivist lens is something identified by like a researcher. His name is like Geert Hofstede. At the same time that they are artificial constructs mm-hmm. to define them and then apply them uh, is useful in understanding differences. You know what I mean? Right. And so that. Uh, that is, I think, part of what as Kim is talking about. It's like, uh, is the ability to uh, examine something, see see differences, and then expand a- awareness in a way that like considers the possibility for ways of presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my I think I would say like h- human tendency, but I would just more safely say like my tendency is like to tend to to. Uh, desire something that is certain something that is known something that mm-hmm. is oh, okay. safe okay. Uh, and something that i feel right about mm-hmm. um and like all of those tendencies are like reductive tendencies mm-hmm. I mean, like you need to reduce your world to understand it uh to, to some degree but the well, ability to recognize like when that's a, a useful thing uh is part of what this is about for me and like if I'm experiencing dissonance in my, in, in my classroom or if I'm working with teachers that are experiencing dissonance in their classroom or n- even to take dissonance out of it, like want to like capitalize on opportunities in their classroom, um, the ability to uh, understand the basis for those, for those differences right. is right. like uh, tremendously empowering. When I, was, when I was preparing for our conversation, uh, one of the things that I saw was that she talks about um, a master narrative and a counter narrative. Does she bring that up in the book as well, or is that something that she's addressed later? Have you seen that, Kim? I haven't seen it yet, but in listening to your earlier podcast, you know, with when you're talking about everybody kind of carries their narrative from the cognitive coaching, mm-hmm. right. um, it seems like this speaks to the idea of narrative okay um, yeah i mean and it, how we build our narratives of, and how mm-hmm. you have to delve into get you know relationships in order to to find out the truth about it you know just like we were saying with this collectivist versus individualistic you know everybody that comes from a certain culture is not going to be that way so it comes down to getting to know individual people too you know okay but um, we haven't heard it yet yeah so one of the things i do want to ask because you know, I feel like it needs to be addressed is that, you know, we're a room full of white people Mm -hmm. and we're talking about 
culturally responsive work, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that that necessarily is a negative thing, um, but it is a thing. Where do we enter into a conversation about, say, diversity or culture? Where do we fit in? How how do you see this working for us in in our context? Because we have to work from, from a culture as well. Work, work for us, like, work yeah, for a white, white folks? Not just white <laughs> folks. I just mean, like, okay, so uh, let me see if I can think of an illustration that might help clarify what I'm asking. Um, I went to the NCTE conference in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and I went to multiple sessions. Like, I went to one about a Native American boarding school in, in South Dakota. I went to a Black Lives Matter session to really just kind of hear exactly what it is that they were bringing into the world of English instruction. It was fascinating. I loved it. But the thing is, is where do I fit as the person who is, you know, just by my physical existence, who seems to be the cause of some of these conversations? Do I, do I get to have a place in that narrative? Is this a way that I can is this a way that I can, if I take the culturally responsive approach, that I can, with fidelity, engage with these things? Mm-hmm. That's does that help? I, I mean, well, I mean, what I hear when I when you're saying that is like, uh, you know, mm, so you said that you went to these like two different seminars and like you you sat and you like listened, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can imagine if I'm in that situation, it would be useful to me to hear like other perspectives. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of what makes, um, teaching, um, awesome. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, you know, is that like, you have not a ton of control over who's going to walk in, in your room and like, you will definitely encounter diversity and in some places Mm -hmm. you'll encounter more diversity. So then in a way, I mean, forced to engage, forced to engage. Yeah. It it sounds like it's just a thing where, you know, just, this is this is a way to just you know instead of like anticipating just reframe your mind to be open to that wide experience wider experience is that correct or no yeah i mean well i mean uh, if you you i would take the word that you use like anticipate mm-hmm. and like uh put it in contrast with the word in the title responsive you know, I think this is a, uh, about, according to this book, a way about like being intentionally responsive. Okay. Like I've sometimes made this joke that like you're definitely going to be culturally responsive. You have no other option. Like right, the question yeah. is whether you're going to be intentionally, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be like consciously uh, responsive. Like, are you aware of the response that you have? Right. And that's what this is about okay. uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. When you asked, I immediately was thinking about my classroom again. And um, I really think, for me, that there are levels. I don't know where. In in something (laughs) we've read, it's shallow, deep. Maybe it's in visual literacy for learning. But, you know. That sounds right, actually. Yeah. And I feel like, personally, I'm kind of good at the shallow level. And maybe getting into the next layer after the topsoil, you Mm -hmm. know, about Mm -hmm. developing relationships. But I really think the key... um, you know, and I'm just having my classroom visually in my mind, but I think whoever you're dealing with is to be legitimately going to set roots 
with that thing, with that relationship. Mm. Um, Lars and I were reading one of those other references the mm-hmm. other day, and you know, some of the people commented that people from other ethnic groups are just going to do what they're going to do. So they just go to their classroom and close their door because they try to assert their point. They get nods and grins, and then nothing is done. And I think the goal is to not be the nodder and the grinner, but mm-hmm. to really listen, let it set in your heart. And reading this, even though I don't agree with everything, and, and we've had discussions just about things where like, is that really true? Like, mm-hmm. or you bristle and you're like, do I do that? Do I think other people in certain groups do that? And But it causes you to question. It causes you to really challenge yourself to internalize it and make it change who you are, to be intentional about it, you know? Um, and I think it requires flexibility and openness, but that's not just for being culturally intentionally responsive. That's in whatever you do, you know, it's just really honoring who you're with and really listening to them and really, really responding to them the way you want to be responded to, you know, just not doing the Miss America nod and wave and moving on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's what makes you feel crummy at the end of the day. Right. And I think that. When, when I hear what you're saying and, and what you've said, Lars, um, she made a statement, and I, was, I wasn't sure how I felt about it when I was reading through <laughs> this blog. Let me see if I can remember. Are you uh, talking about her Ready for Rigor blog? Or? Yeah, Ready for Rigor yeah. blog. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the one. Um, she says that if you don't believe there's a master narrative around privilege, you cannot successfully practice cultural responsiveness. And I think that is, now that I'm hearing you guys discuss it after having read the text, and I know, you know, you said you weren't really able to find that sort of um, language in there. It could have come post-publication. Um, but uh, when it comes down to it, I think it sounds like, yeah, that's pretty much the case. Because if you've got somebody who's going home feeling a little icky about something that went down in class, mm-hmm. well, that's a good sign. <laughs> Do something about it, right? Exactly. Um, whereas there could be some people who, you know, are completely, you know, unaware of what they're saying or doing and don't have that awareness that they can you know that they that they have done something that may be problematic yeah. mm-hmm. i mean when you say that it uh like leads me to a connection to another like kind of favorite uh topic of mine which yeah, is mind- mindfulness yeah. uh, and oh, it's yeah. like the, <laughs> and in fact like there's a mindful reflection protocol in here and another is that fa- for the teacher or for the for the student? teacher for the okay. teacher in reflecting on uh situations like the one that Kim is describing where like you just feel that there's some something that occurred and you don't know what it is or something that didn't occur and you want to know what what that you know anyway um, and then another favorite topic, which is growth mindset. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And a lot well, of this whole thing. She does refer to an academic mindset developing in the kids. So, Yeah, yeah. And this is all, all of, all, you know, I, uh, I read all of these things side by side and, and don't uh, let them, like, silo off too much. They are very much uh, all are like part and parcel. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, um, spending the time, being open and, and reflecting uh, enough to uh, hold, hold like a, a a more complex view of of reality, um, and you know, and of of ourselves and our interplay like with reality. So yeah. right, but a more truthful view. Uh, yeah, like one that uh, not truth like with a with a capital, capital T, T. Uh, right. like truth Your like one that truth. one that like uh, accords more with the way that things like work. 
truth can be culturally designated. Of course. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it becomes interesting to kind of loop that back even to a master narrative. Mm -hmm. Right? Because what is a truth but a type of narrative we've accepted as infallible? Yeah. I mean, I just, like, although I don't... uh, recall the term like master narrative and what was the other like i said i what think that might have come up in the blog it very much know. like mm-hmm. i understand the way in it's which you, you're using term, it yeah. and it feels like a, a useful term mm-hmm. in in the discussion mm-hmm. it seems to me like it really helps to contextualize sort of you know getting back to the mindset that mm-hmm. a culturally responsive teacher would need right is having mm-hmm. that awareness of, of these two um opposing narratives almost yeah um, mm-hmm. i don't know if this is true at all i just like kind of th- listen to myself say it and see if it has feel feels like it's useful to say but like when you say like mass when you when she uses the term in in the blog like master narrative mm-hmm. i mean uh it's a discuss it you know has like a connotation of like pow- uh, power yeah, thing you know which is like a big like so, you know there's a some something that the uh diversity resource team talks i've heard them uh, talk about or participate in discussions where they uh talk about the similarities and differences between culturally responsive teaching and uh teaching for social justice right Mm -hmm. um and uh and some some of these other like variations justice part in the art of coaching she talks about justice in there Mm -hmm. so it's like this this theme that has been coming up in some of the texts that i've been as you know what what you're describing is that it's like necessary to hold the idea of power in mind Mm -hmm. when uh considering this whole this whole equation or this whole uh, thing one thing that uh, it seems true to me of uh, social justice uh, books is that they are can be like pol- a little bit polarizing mm-hmm. actually like yeah. even the word culture i've seen it uh, polarize uh, people when you talk about culture and teaching like people can have a little bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction to it mm-hmm. so perhaps like the absence of that term from this book uh do you think it would affect is, the, the concepts if you were to just call it responsive teaching? Uh, or do you well, think yeah. it has to be culturally I could say a lot about that, but I, but I think, like, the absence, uh, and I, I'd like to, but, like, but the, uh, yeah. like, the absence of, like, you know, uh, a lot of emphasis on power in this book or, like, uh, m- might bring more teachers into the fold in, in, like, reading it and applying what's in it because power is definitely a part of all of this, um, but rather than focus on... Uh, empowerment and disempowerment uh over and over again mm-hmm. this book talks about uh utility and, and applicability and like things like relationships and like how to how to connect in order to uh get the learning done that we you know yeah. that everybody wants to, to get done right um but uh i do think the word culture is like important uh at the same time that it's problematic because like even though so much of what this book talks about is uh is about is just about being responsive um the fact of putting the word culture in there uh directs people's a- attention in a specific way um and, w- and and do you say that's beneficial to this or or i do think it's beneficial okay. because right. like uh it addresses like the power imbalance mm-hmm. like where there has been like less attention and you know not in a blame worthy way just right. like uh we have identified that there uh are inequities, um, and so if we're going to uh, do something about that, right. we should well, address our attention. And when you look at there. sort of the you know the, the standards that we have, they're one size fits all. You must meet these standards, right? You, and I mean, 
you know, they're designed from a specific lens or stance or whatever. You know, any type of kid that would come in, they're held to those standards. To go back to your narrative thing, I just have one comment, and I think that um, if I were asked as a teacher, would I want to know my kid's story, my kid's narrative, Mm -hmm. I would emphatically say yes. And I think this right here is the beginning of a journey for me to really understand with confidence and with fidelity what their narrative is saying because I can I can read kids and I can say you know we can find out this happened this is their situation Mm -hmm. what have you but what does that mean what's the next step and that's where it's unlocking some kind of secrets for me so I do agree and I think that teachers want to know their children's narrative everybody in their class I think they wouldn't teach if they didn't care enough yeah, we to would do hope that so, you know yeah and so I think that you know but I agree with you Lars it's got to say culturally responsive if, if this book just said responsive teaching I'd be like meh that's a different thing isn't it yeah. <laughs> right. it's a different artificial uh-huh. <laughs> construct so yeah. um I want to make sure that we don't overlook uh, I mean this is a good conversation I'm enjoying it yeah but that we don't overlook the connections to what we do as coaches. How do we, with this text in mind and, and these issues, these ideas, um, how, how do we engage either in that discussion with teachers or in trying to help them uh, maybe develop if they identify sort of a, um, an, a blind spot where they want to improve? How, how do you see this functioning into coaching? Something we talk about, right? Yeah, yeah. it okay. is. Good. Well, I don't think it really matters if you have a classroom of students or you are working with teachers because when you're responsive to people, you're responsive to people. Everybody operates in their cultural bubble. So I think it's all relevant. You know, when I'm talking to you, Darren and Lars, I mean, I know a little bit about your background, where you come from. And so I use that information to relate to you. I'm going to relate to you differently than Lars and to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's it's entirely relevant. But the thing that popped to my mind that was relevant to my coaching was my school's culture. Okay. Because I have, I'm in elementary schools, and, and my schools have different cultures. There's, there's no doubt about that. And so I was hoping that that would help me understand them as a group of teachers that operate together kind of like a family. So when you think about the school culture, you, you can kind of start maybe piecing together some of those background issues that the teachers might be dealing with. I, I just want to make sure I understand yeah. sort of how that intermingles with working with the teacher of those kids yeah so I think being a new coach I'm Mm -hmm. trying to just get my entree in some places so I'm kind of reading the room but you know everyone's different and some automatically embrace some are more standoffish somewhere in the middle um and even teachers teachers PLCs whole schools you know it's just really different and so I feel like that um understanding Um, like either cultural patterns or like components that contribute to identity can help me try to tease apart some of those things like some of those areas I might get stuck or why certain areas why why things are progressing so Mm -hmm. um, quickly and it seems like you were just never you know new friends so having that that cultural lens through through her uh, what was it uh, Zaretta Hammond's work is something that's given you another set of perspectives is that correct yeah I think another set of um, just things to consider Mm -hmm. as I'm trying to break in and become part of a new new group or you know a new tribe right yeah become right right part of the part of the group exactly Mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah Lars uh 
Well, I answer these questions like so abstractly sometimes that I'll try to like do the. That's okay. Like we can go, we go, can go up in the sky. No, no, no. With I want to. I want to turn around and try to go all the way. I'm going to dig into the ground. Okay. Um, and so uh, I'll point to like two different specific things uh, okay. it, that uh, that uh, I've pointed to with with teachers here, or like a put on the table. I think is a, is more appropriate way to, to phrase it. Um, so. Uh, one of the one of the things uh, here is that is that teachers sometimes will use language to describe a challenge in their classroom uh, that may or may not be related to like a cultural disconnect, um, mm-hmm. but the consideration that it may be related to a cultural. Uh, so disconnect. you're talking about the language being related to it, as in uh, how? No, how so would it be so that, yeah, okay, so. Um, when a uh, when a teacher says something like I'm not connecting with like students A, B, and C, right? You know, like some set of some set of students, like, uh, and you start to unpack like what that what that means. Well, you know, they uh, won't do this when when I'm asking them to do this, or they don't seem engaged, or they're not learning the material, or whatever that is. Uh, of course, like you would not presume that there was a, a cultural connection there. But the question of whether there's like a cultural connection there or not is is a useful question to ask. And maybe a relevant question, according to Zaretta Hammond, because the number of like dependent learners are disproportionately like represented by cultural minorities. And so she like All this right, book so is so cool. I because heard you she, say dependent. Explain dependent learner because I think mm-hmm. I mean that's a term I haven't heard used in the way I think you're meaning it. Okay. So I want to make sure I'm clear Well, and I'll that. try to use it as best I can in like the way that Zaretta Ham- Yeah, Hammond I mean, that makes so sense. She like, talks right? about independent learners and dependent learners, uh, and it's uh, independence and dependence uh, in relation to like accepting uh, like cognitive engagement with a task, okay? So like an independent learner is one that like when you put uh, – something on the table to engage with cognitively will will grab it will think about it you know make meaning out of it Mm -hmm. and a dependent uh learner is one that will depend on the teacher to uh support like through you know look here do this you know walk through in this Mm -hmm. one so again like you would never um assume that that uh that there was like a cultural connection there but she gives it so she gives a a checklist for like independent and and dependent. Oh, so there's right. almost like a diagnostic for right. you. So I've turned. Is it, that something you've used? I've, used in a it, I've turned it in like an, in, into an observation tool when okay. teachers present in this way when they say like mm-hmm. I'm not making a connection. I say like we talk about independent learners and dependent learners completely uh, without culture as part of the conversation and and they'll say oh yeah it looks like they have some of those characters. So I'll do an observation where I like I, I note behaviors that uh, seem to resonate with the different descriptors of independent learners or dependent learners. And then we come back and we say, uh, are these independent learners? And there's some other thing going on here. Do you have that conversation with the teacher first about the the difference between the two? Or is that something that you bring in post-observation? So Uh, in the times that I've used it, it's... uh, We've talked a, a, a bit about it beforehand. So and like then pre-observation, you have that? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Zaretta Hammond does this like wonderful analysis of the way in which uh, dependent learners are overrepresented, mm-hmm. uh, right? And she does this analysis of why that is the case. And they're uh, they're overrepresented. Overrepresented in cultural minorities or something. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, gotcha. um, and so her analysis, uh, she she describes like. Basically, you know, a process where there's not cultural resonance and how that affects the, the, the brain. Mm-hmm. So she's like the first part of the book uh, 
digs a lot into like the way the brain works and coming from me this will be like pseudoscience because (laughs) i'm not a scientist you know but she talks about uh the um chemicals uh that are produced uh and the physical structures so she's going into the actual functions Mm -hmm. in the text to back up some of these these concepts yes Mm -hmm. so like the uh the chemicals that are produced in the physical structures and 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 you know the neural networks that are produced Mm -hmm. when there is cultural resonance when there is uh trust and relationships when all of those things are present those things create uh like form the brain in such a way that uh is a prerequisite for for learning for learning right so how do you take by a certain time like that has not uh there's not cultural resonance in in the school experience right uh then you a a learner can end up in a a situation where uh depend on the teacher to like walk there there's just not gonna there's not cultural resonance there you were about to ask a question. yeah i was was gonna say how how does that come together as a coach yeah, well, probably poorly because I'm working on it, <laughs> right? But like, um, but, but trying, trying to, to figure it out. Yeah, right? trying mm-hmm. to. Uh, so you know, and part of the challenge uh, is like a complex th- thing, you know. A- in any case, like it, 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 once you've got like some dependent learners that you've identified, then uh, we'll go back on at looking at like relationship, like the relationship with those students. Mm-hmm. Um, so relationship. What else? Would yeah, figure and then, into that? and then talking about the. Uh, the way that uh, the brain processes information um, and trying to like set some learning these are all mm-hmm. like all different paths that we could like go down and, and talk about um, would you say that this as a, as a coach the the goal might be to be more about the awareness of these approaches or or what in regard to the teacher I mean I think she speaks to awareness being the first level and I think that would have to be it first because just if it, to me, if we analyze our interactions, if I analyze my interactions with people, you know, you're just greeting people down the hall and they're, and they're like, oh, okay, today's a hard day. You know, what do you do with that? But this is a, a way to do with that. But it does start with how you view it, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like awareness of where these behaviors are coming from, from ourselves like our assumptions, maybe that master narrative has something to do with it, mm-hmm. but also where the kids are coming from, because I think there is a big elephant in the room of blame, um, as far as you know. Blame? How, how do you in, mean? Uh, for a lot on a lot of levels, you know, um, the the kids are in hard, hard circumstances, or didn't the grade preceding teach them how to do this? Or um, okay. they're, you know, they've they've gotten this far. Can't they, you know? Or sort of a, why can't they me, act decent? Kind of a little bit, okay. you know. And so I feel that when I've been reading this, that it's opened my eyes to how things operate around me, and it's not bad, mm-hmm. you know. It's that I've got to understand their story, right? And they've got to understand my story, you know. It is a mindset change, really, mm-hmm. um, to think, you know, you don't have to count the days down till the next holiday but that this is an ongoing, exciting thing that you can do to unfold things with right. your students, you know? And even that little light at the beginning at the beginning of the tunnel, I at feel like... At the beginning like, of the tunnel. You know, is, yeah. um, is exciting to be able to, to share with teachers, you know? Yeah. That's what excites me. Well, um, uh, so what I like to do as we wrap up and what I've done with the last two sessions is to kind of talk about some of the, the limitations, perhaps, of this model, because mm-hmm. I don't... Not our model as instructional coaches, but... Uh, the mode of culturally responsive teaching, um, because I feel like it's it's a fair thing to make sure we consider 
also those mm-hmm. things as well. What are some of the limitations that you might see? And I mean, you worked with the DRT mm-hmm. program last year with this, so you might have uh, some real-world exposure to that. And then, Kim, of course, with, with you coming into this book new and fresh in a new position, maybe you've got another lens to, to work mm-hmm. from. But where would you say some of those limitations for culturally responsive teaching in the brain uh, exist? Oh, I, if it sounds arrogant, it probably is arrogant, but like, I just don't see, I try not to see limitations. Like I, I think like if there are challenging things, they are like challenging, they are telling things and and things to, to address. So what's a telling thing then? If you want to, if you want to use different terminology, that's fine. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for your flexibility. (laughs) Oh, you know, I do what I do. (laughs) Um, Well, the, the knee jerk reaction that you have, you know, uh, is, is, uh, something to address um mm, you mean the knee-jerk reaction to, to the word people culture? who are a little bit hypersensitive to a little bit hypersensitive that's paradoxical uh-huh. oh, that's good uh-huh. um who are hypersensitive to the concept of diversity or cultural issues is that what you mean like those folks who have that knee-jerk reaction to those issues uh, yeah, so to give, um, I've heard, you know, cu- you know, culture and teaching come up like as a faddish kind of thing over oh, and over, it's over not, and over again. Okay. I don't want it to be like another fad or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's, I think, an example of like a, a, a quick reaction to, to mm-hmm. the, uh, to it. And other, and other folks will say like, um, culturally responsive teaching, isn't that just best practices? You know, so so those are like like, uh, uh, maybe sort of an offhand dismissal versus as well as some other folks who are just uh, more like uh, this is this is something that is only going to be relevant for a little while. Yeah. And so like I, you know, to go back to like the original like frame, like I think that those are points of dissonance, um, but not necessarily limitations, because I think engaging those points of dissonance are are necessary in order to to move past it. You know, so like. The reason it's, it comes up again and again is because it's still a challenge. You know right. what I mean? So, like, it may come up with different faces and, like, different names. And this book is so popular right now, it could almost be, like, described as, like, faddish or, like, something. You know right. what I mean? But, like... Well, and I he, think some of that, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to... This, this, I think some of that comes from just the nature of publishing houses. Mm-hmm. You know, the hot topics yeah well, and, and whether so. human they, nature and it's mm-hmm. not so much whether it's a hot topic or not but how they have to market it so that it can become a hot topic mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. think about all of the all of the hot texts right mm-hmm. we had marzano as like this big guru and now all of a sudden john hattie comes in and he's doing a very similar thing and he's mm-hmm. the guru now mm-hmm. you know yeah it's not really a fad it's the same thing it's, it's just a different nature. person doing it yeah. and there is money at stake with the publisher to do that kind of thing. So, and I think that, you know, what you're bringing up, that kind of thing can work against a topic like this, where this is mm-hmm. a relevant topic, especially mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's not a fad because we're getting more and more ethnically diverse in this country, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and so it's anyway. So I feel yeah. like, in response to what you said, I, I feel like that. I can see, you know, if I was to iterate what you didn't want to say was a limitation is that one of the limitations for this book is it could easily be dismissed out of hand for for whatever reason, just because of, you know, prejudices or um, 
reluctance or, or just, you know, dismissal of the idea of the pedagogy because the pedagogy in books goes in cycles. Yeah. Is, that, is that kind of... Well, yeah, but I also don't know how you get past that without doing it. It's like, uh, I remember, like, there's a, a book like about Zen called You Have to Say Something. Right. So Yeah, exactly. You know, no, and, and <laughs> yeah. get it on the table. So as a coach, how do we get to that deal point? Deal with it, right? yeah. So, um, Kim, what about you? What about limitations from your perspective um, working with this? I think because of the nature of being culturally responsive, I, to tag off of, isn't that just best practices? Mm. I think that two things impact that. One, I think it's a lack of knowledge because best practice um, is from your own cultural lens yeah. and how you have been um, indoctrinated so you educationally. Contextualized the idea of. Best I feel practice. like it largely okay. is. Um, so your lack of knowledge of how to understand somebody else's story but then the time that it takes to do something soft like this um, often gets trumped with mm. having to cover academic standards mm. so like the stuff yes and right. so it feels like well we'll get to that or like I don't know how quite to get to that I don't understand that it's going to give me that's a great point a way bigger bang for my buck and that the mm -hmm. standards are going to go so much easier um so I think that there's just a whole lack of understanding behind investing in um being really responsive and knowing mm -hmm. people's stories and how that's going to impact because um quite honestly there's a fear of losing time and mm -hmm. so and we're governed and, by yeah. that fear well, Kim, in we're some very ways. I'm to explain it after the podcast, but you just totally changed my brain oh. <laughs> in a wow. big way. Yeah. Can you, can you, are you able to put it in That's, succinct terms? Well, I mean, you're, uh, the thing that you said was like, you, you referred to the standards as stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I try like uh, in my life, like to grip onto stuff like less and like I it just to use that term like as mm -hmm. standards as stuff yeah um and you know think about like I'm always like blending these categories thinking about like 21st century learning and like putting the student at, at the center like is another way of like it seems like we're trying more and more to let go of uh of grip over gripping stuff and right. embrace like learning as it means like right. if for like brain like development and like mm -hmm. uh and so that yeah. that resonates with yeah. me. That's interesting. Cool. I never thought of the standards as stuff right. to well, grip. But I think yeah. in the end, you know, it comes back to they still hold you accountable for the stuff. You know, the uh, um, best practices question. Mm -hmm. uh, Sharika Jones-Lewis, who's like AP at Walton, mm -hmm. said, you know, just said very simply, which I, I love, like, it's not best practice if it's not working, like, yeah. for a student, you Amen. know. So if you've got s a student in your classroom and you think you're using best practices, but that student's not learning, guess what? It's mm -hmm. not the best. And yeah, I know teachers right? that would embrace so, that, but they're like, okay, like so expanding. I need more. Yeah, like, yeah, and I think what I'm learning mm -hmm. through these podcasts, and we're going to go ahead and wrap up here, is that there is a lot of malleability in what works because what works for one person works doesn't work for another, and what works for one group of students might not work for another. It's, it's really interesting to through the course of doing these discussions on, on, on this podcast is to really just kind of make that connection. So, mm -hmm. um, so how are you guys feeling? Are we good? Do you, you feel good? Yeah. Yeah. No. Topic. We touched the 
tip of the iceberg, but that's okay. Yeah, I know. We could probably do a whole series around this. If you, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> well, thanks for this. This has yeah. been cool. Yeah. No, thank, yeah. thank you guys you for so coming, much. and, and uh, you know, I appreciate it. So. All right. All right, we're good. Well, episode three is a wrap. Thanks again to Lars and Kim for coming in to talk with me. We covered a lot of ground. Of course, we could have always covered more, but, um, you know, sometimes that's just the way things have to be. Please make sure to uh, check out uh, the next episode, which is going to be on differentiated coaching. And um, also stop by to check the ednarrative.com. We'll catch you later. Bye.